This episode is our first focusing on Australia, the land down under, and as a an American who came of age in the 80s, it is so hard to resist, so hard to resist working Crocodile Dundee into this intro. But I resisted. I I was gonna do an Australian accent on the uh, the knife that's not a knife that's a knife scene from crocodile dundee um but i i feared i might somehow i offend everybody with an australian accent by my by my attempt at it's not a podcast um and maybe just offend all australians and um given that after the first episode with Sam Brown, where our podcast shot up to the top 75 and I believe it was business podcasts in New Zealand. I really don't want to alienate um, the Australians because with today's episode um, with Rosie Chong and Tazleen uh, Ahmad Fata, um, I think we've got a shot at cracking the top 100 of some list in Australia as well. These are two fantastic creators on LinkedIn. People I've been following for uh, months now. They were both gracious enough to to talk to me. And my interest in having the two of them on was, um, you know, Rosie's at thirty three thousand or so in her uh, in her LinkedIn adventure. Um, and she's doing this as a, let's say a younger millennial. Um, so somebody whose generation is, you know, only in the last few years getting out of university and, and entering the workforce and starting to, um, spend more time on LinkedIn. Rosie is an amazing example of somebody in her mid twenties who is just killing it out there. Uh, and then, um, Taz is, uh, another guy who who has just come out of nowhere um and just in the last six months or so shot up to forty five thousand uh followers um they both uh make their living on content creation and strategy to some degree uh rosie talks a, a little bit in this podcast about her nine to five as a uh social media strategist she's got uh her own podcast called it's a definite maybe um, she's leaning into TikTok hard and has a sizable following there as well. Uh, while Taz just released his Robinhood course, it's a an extremely meaty free course. Uh, it's a an amazing thing that he's done there. Um, and we get into what he's doing there. I was hoping that this was the exclusive. Um, Taz was saying this is his third podcast this week. Um, although maybe we'll be the first one to get out the door. We could make a make a run at that, given the the quick turnaround time that I I tend to shoot for. Um, before we dive in, this is episode ten, and um, with this episode, we're going to pass a thousand plays or downloads on this podcast so far. Um, it's not a huge number, but to me, it's a really significant number. And I've talked about this a little bit uh, a few episodes ago. 
um, of like, this is my fourth podcast attempt. And um, the second one I'm doing now where I've got unrationed with a couple of buddies that we were loving doing and we're going to be doing ad infinitum. But, but I really appreciate the kind words and the support that I'm getting in the direct messages on LinkedIn and in people's comments to the posts about the podcast um, and on the Apple reviews. Um, here's a really lovely review um, from a guy named Christian who's out of North Carolina in the US saying, I've been a member of LinkedIn since 04, but never made much use of it. It was a place online to post my resume, not much more. Times have changed. What used to be a dry, buttoned up professional desert has morphed into a diverse, dynamic, humanistic oasis where people post about their passions and engage one another in a very real synergistic way. Tony taps into this burgeoning community with candor and grace hosting thoughtful combinations of various fellow LinkedIn members and letting the conversations run. I found each podcast both informative and inspiring. Highly recommend the series. Christian, thank you for that. That's really generous and gracious of you. And I agree. I also recommend the, the entire series. Um, here's one from someone named Ant Carlton from a few weeks ago. As a serious creator on LinkedIn, this is one of my favorite pods to learn from so I can grow my online business. Tony's doing big things. It's worth checking out. Um, and that review was titled Best LinkedIn Podcast Out There. It, I really appreciate that as well. And it's, um, as a creative and somebody who's been sharing thoughts and writing in public for seven or eight years, uh, I've not experienced the engagement before the last year, maybe more like 10 or 11 months as I have here on LinkedIn. And it's been life-changing for me. And, and a huge reason why this podcast exists is I believe that more and more people are going to come online to this platform that the, 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 and I'm not a coder and tech is not my strong suit, but it seems like this platform has the foundational pieces in place where it can sustain growth and traffic in a way that it won't devolve immediately into the sort of cesspool that we're seeing uh, other platforms become that more people coming online and leveraging this platform will mean more people whose lives are changed for the better the way that this platform is, has impacted me. So thank you so much for that. Uh, if you are one of the seven and a half billion people who have yet to rate or review this podcast, I, I really don't do many direct asks, but <laughs> here's my direct ask. Um, doing that is really helpful apparently for more people finding the podcast. So, um, but if, if it would be a one-star review, um, personally, I, I don't think people need that opinion. You know, I, I think maybe, I think maybe that's an opinion you should keep to yourself. And if I'm being really honest, I think it might mean there's some work for you to do on yourself. What is it about you that makes me suck so bad? Hmm? <laughs> All right. Um, 
one other note before we dive in with Rosie and Taz. This is the first episode where I am experimenting with ad content. Um, and I just told you how many podcasts plays or listens this podcast has. Um, and I can tell you that it is super early to be, <laughs> to be thinking about monetization at all. Um, but as with most things in life, I'm, I'm going to do this my own weird way. And here's what I'm playing with as my idea for this workshop in the name, but the, the name at the moment is hustle corner. And it's going to be clearly delineated as ad content. I'm going to plop them down in the middle of the episodes. And instead of your typical sponsorship or ad read, uh, not that I'm opposed to those things, but, um, but frankly, there's a dance with the girl that brought you uh, dynamic. And I've got this idea for, for a way to do this that I think is, um, frankly, a faster path to going from $0 to $1 of revenue that this podcast is generating. Um, Seth Godin has a line about how it's a, it's a lot harder to go from zero to one than it is to from one to a thousand. Um, I'm going to be inviting people to join me for a four minute, 44 second conversation about who they are and what they do. Um, it's going to be specific to people I'm in touch with on LinkedIn. Uh, I think this is going to be for people who are using LinkedIn as a primary channel for selling and who would just be interested in cutting it up with me for a shade under five minutes. Um, it's not going to be a, Hey, give me your elevator pitch in a direct way. And then I tell you why I think that's so interesting. We're going to make it a little, uh, more, a little wilder than that. It's going to be a little more unpredictable, but my goal is with each person who does that with me, um, that people come away knowing, liking, and trusting you more and having a better sense of what it is you do and how they might be able to learn more about what you do and what you have to offer. Today's the first one where we're experimenting with that. Um, I, I have so, so graciously donated a chunk of time to a man who is going to be on an episode of Linky Land himself, uh, Christopher Sellers. He just released his first book um last week christopher's book is titled applied creativity um, and i wanted to have christopher on well in in his thing so he calls himself christopher but then he says only my mother calls me christopher so he wants to be called chris but then it's that thing where if you're responding in a comment and you want to like tag and then you can only tag as not just Christopher, but he has it as Christopher period. I mean, it's, it's a problem, man. It's a problem. Why just be Chris, just be Chris. If you want me to call you Chris, um, unless your target for your LinkedIn profile is your mother. The only person who thinks of you as Christopher. Anyway, I digress. Um, 
two reasons. Number one, Chris and I have been talking about this book um, for really a year now, and I'm thrilled to see it in the world. Uh, he's recording the audiobook maybe as we speak. I'm excited to get that uh, between my ears. Uh, and secondly, I describe Chris as my first troll on LinkedIn, where this was back, I want to say in November of 2021, I put out a definition of creativity and said, this is what I'm working with as my working definition. And he came in and picked it apart a little bit in a way that made it better for sure. And so I went and made it better. And I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And they picked it apart some more. And um, we had this really rich exchange on how we think about creativity as a practice, as a discipline, as a tool. Um, and he was instrumental to the platform opening up to me in a new way where I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. It's not just, um, it's not just job announcements. It's not just talking about the subject matter or what you do for a living. You can, in a targeted way, find people who care about the things you care about and then get into it with them. Um, and so Chris has a special place in my heart. Um, and of course, on this episode, he is also Australian, which so we've got a linky land down under. How was that? Is that was that offensive? Because I, I hope not. I do. I bring it with nothing but love. I, I wish I had an accent. I, I think that's when I'm like trying to do the accents. I like doing accents because I wish I had a better one than I do. I have like that Midwestern sort of nondescript weatherman vibe. Like that's actually how I talk. And people will bring up how I have kind of a Southern accent. And look, it's just you and me here. It's not entirely really I've, I've come to talk with a little bit more of a you know, I come from St. Louis I come from like the, the the like line between the southern United States and, and the rest of the country and so it's a I know a lot of people who talk with more of a an accent and I've just sort of I think you know what this podcast isn't about me and accents. This podcast is about Australians and listening to them get into uh, what they care about with their accents. So let's just leave it and get after it. Here's a conversation with with Rosie Chong and Tazleen uh, Ahmad Fata. So I'll just say off the bat, if because uh, uh, I love going on tangents and then when I start talking about it I just my mind just starts going into it so please just cut me off feel free to do that there's I'm, I'm not going to mind any of that because I don't stop talking sometimes okay well I too have never met a rabbit hole I did not insist on jumping down so <laughs> we we may very well just end up on a 45 minute tangent and that turns into the entire yeah. <laughs> show i look forward to it it's gonna yeah. be great yeah. <laughs> but, uh, rosie taz thank you for uh joining me on 
uh, the podcast, and I've I've done a, a little intro for the two of you uh, before before we start here. But um, uh, Rosie, we were just talking before we got on about how. So this is the first time you and I have spoken. This is the first time mm. Taz and I have spoken, and it is actually the first time that the two of you, two shining stars of the Australian <laughs> LinkedIn scene, have crossed paths. So I'm I'm thrilled to be able to facilitate that connection uh in real zoom and let's just start I've, I've got we've got a lot of ground we'll cover here over the next hour but let's just start with who you are where you're coming from and w- since this is a podcast about linkedin um <laughs> what is it you care about or what is it you you focus on your why if you will for the stuff you do on linkedin Sure. So, I mean, we already know I'm Rosie. Hello. I am, I work a nine to five, which does surprise a lot of people. I work my Monday to Friday as a social strategist in agency land. I work at a creative agency here in Melbourne. So that keeps me out of trouble. And then obviously a bunch of stuff on LinkedIn. I mean, that's why we're here. I won't go into that yet. I run my own podcast called It's a Definite Maybe with one of my best friends from uni, Stella. And I create content, um, more traditional sort of content creation, I guess, more fashion sort of stuff on TikTok, just, you know, because doing LinkedIn and a podcast and a nine to five was not enough. (laughs) And Taz, how about you? So I'm not that interesting. I basically am an ex-corporate employee, kind of got sick of the entire toxic environment, got out, wanted to start a business started a bubble tea business which didn't really work out because of covid um and then i did a lot of introspection and figured out that my forte is analysis and um so i just sat and i always had a passion for linkedin and i was just sitting there and analyzing profiles after profiles and uh basically made my wife and all my friends and everyone super sick of it and so they're like listen can you like <laughs> stop doing our head in about this and just go tell it to the people who care and uh, yeah, so then I started doing that and somehow there's a few people that care and it's interesting. Yeah. 45,000 people that care, dude. That's a lot. Yeah, it's, 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 it's <laughs> hard to comprehend for me, to be honest. It's a fascinating number of people. And frankly, I'm, I'm fascinated by both of you. And it's part of why we, we connected about having this conversation together where, um, well, frankly, both of you seem like you've just been shot out of goddamn rockets um, there on the other <laughs> side of the world. And I find that really interesting like how that happens is, um, I mean, Taz, so you're, well, let's take a step back before we go down the rabbit hole. So my own experience, you know, I, I, I had a dozen years as an attorney, um, got out of the law and hadn't paid attention to LinkedIn throughout my legal career. I had no interest in it whatsoever. And it's only been really the last year that I've been creating anything. And really like since January that I got into it. Um, And it wasn't until then that the platform started to open up and, you know, I started having more chats, ended up making friends, like finding clients, starting new businesses. I mean, it's been absolutely life-changing in a way that is it's almost absurd to me uh how how impactful it's been so that's the story i i look for people who 
who that story resonates with. And it, it seems like the two of you may be um, along those lines. So I'd, I'd love to hear kind of that, like before and after um, aspect to your, your stories as it pertains to this illustrious platform. Taz, you're up. I can see so, that grin on your face. <laughs> um, that was the that was one of the most surprising parts for me as well because I actually never went on there to try and make friends. But what happens is because there's such a large pool of people, you eventually end up meeting people that think in a lot of similar ways and then they, they support the same values and you know have the same passions. And so I, again, same as you, accidentally ended up making a lot of friends and then now you know we chat on whatsapp and we've got all these people in there that can always be so resourceful and help and always there to support so it's a it was a super big surprise because it was also sort of around covid time or just post covid time for me when i started posting and stuff and so um there were there wasn't really much social activity in in real life so i I was, I was gonna probably make a post about this as well saying that you know linkedin is just more than leads and likes and views because it's also sort of like you know the place where you go and talk to people that you care about like i was just talking to a friend earlier today and uh like me and him we talk about spirituality and like all of the we, we actually have calls where we don't talk about business at all and, and like me and him do the same thing but we were like no no let's just talk about other things so it was amazing because i never uh expected any of that to happen but well, good bonus and, absolutely <laughs> and so you mentioned having this period of like uh, analyzing what was going on out here before you started posting so and your posting consistency only came about in 2022 is that right yeah so i've been on the platform for i think maybe about three years because i was a corporate professional and i signed up to be um you know one of those guys in a suit and have that <laughs> title there and act like oh okay all right this is this is baller life but it really wasn't <laughs> and so I, I was trying to act smarter than i was because that's how I thought that you would succeed in corporate, which is true for 95% of corporate. Um, perception is very important. And so then I was posting, but the consistency wasn't there because I wasn't posting about things I care about. It wasn't being me. And when you're not being yourself, it takes a lot of effort to put something out because you have to put six masks on before you say something. And so, and the audience can resonate with that. Like we, we think that they can't, but they can't. And so, there was no actual LinkedIn effort that I was doing. So I did start in about March, May, March, April. When did yeah. you wow. leave corporate? Yeah, so I left corporate um, about two years ago, did okay. a tea business in the middle. Yeah. And then that finished about March uh, this year. And so a couple of months after that is when I went ham on LinkedIn. So as of March of this year, had you had this aha moment about LinkedIn where you could see the potential of the thing? I always saw the potential. I just never put the effort in. I saw the, I was on there because I saw the potential from three years ago. Um, obviously saw a different bit of a potential because I thought it could maybe help me get a promotion, get some uh, corporate clients for the business that we had at that time. But I actually went in, in terms of, working LinkedIn for LinkedIn this year 
Right on. Yeah. And when I say the, the potential, I, what I'm, I'm referring to specifically is the one, not the one that where you're on the beaten track, where you're trying to do what every other headshot, you know, corporate headshot with the background is trying to do. I'm talking about the one where all of a sudden you have 45,000 followers and you yeah. are LinkedIn's Robin Hood. That that's the the potential that I'm I'm particularly interested in. So that's that's yeah. so fascinating. We're gonna we're gonna unpack that. And I actually had a couple people who um more than any other guest so far, and this is gonna be episode 10 or 11, um when they heard you were coming on, they were like, ask him this. And it's almost <laughs> like how the yeah. How is he doing what he's doing in a way that's <laughs> oh, there's fantastic. a science. I I can I can if you have a couple of hours, I'll break it down. I don't even want to charge <laughs> anyone any money because I can't shut up about it. <laughs> I and I love that, and we are going to talk about that a little bit. Um, Rosie, how about you? What has your LinkedIn uh, trajectory looks like? I feel like I'm like the the boring old first edition toy that sits on the shelf. You get all these shiny new people that come in and are growing like so fast and uh, doing things like Taz that just explode in every post, have so much value, launch like the most iconic free course I've ever seen. And I'm just like, hi, hello. So I, I, every day I feel like an imposter. And I feel like I'm not the only one that feels that way. But my journey with LinkedIn, I guess, was a little bit more forced and intentional but not in a bad way I embraced it because I loved it but I did it because of my job I was working a sales role in I started in Feb 2021 and my boss at the time Lisa Tay she was quite big or still is quite big she got like 45,000 followers as well really big on LinkedIn serial entrepreneur serial businesswoman and I'm like I was like oh I'm hooked on I love what she's about she was like you should start LinkedIn we need it for clients it'll be good for work and you know I can tell that you're a budding you know female powerhouse you know I think it'll be good for you and I was like okay and I saw that the platform wasn't filled with many Aussies it wasn't filled with many women as well it was filled with a lot of older Caucasian males or at least just males in general I was like I'm here to make some noise and make some chaos and so I started and I hustled. I hustled so hard. I was maxing out my connections every week. I was doing it to get clients. I was posting a lot of content that was tied directly to my job. And it was good for a little bit. And I continued with it because I loved it. Um, but when I finished up my job at the end of 2021, I had I, I still had only like 7K followers, which is a lot. But in comparison to now, it feels small, which is... Well weird to say how many did you have when you started using the platform more in february or march or whatever oh around a thousand maybe 800 okay. um because i've been on cool. the platform like here and there with internships and graduating uni and such um sort of just you know part of the thing to do in high school and uni and then i had this like weird revelation sort of last christmas break so end of 2021 start of 2022 i took a break from the platform i'd grown to hate it i was burnt out i was so done i hated sales and i was like can i keep doing linkedin but can i do it in a way that wasn't with a commercial end goal can i do it in a way that feels more like a a personal public diary and less like i'm trying to chase clients and so i did that and I think that's when I had my big moment of, I guess, growth and I hit 
10k and then I had a few posts go viral and then I hit 20k and then the growth slowed and I you know realized how little importance a follower never has and that that didn't mean anything (laughs) still doesn't Mm. um but I I found a bit of a groove and momentum with my community I made like you guys have both said made some incredible friends I've had incredible opportunities and I found such a such a burning passion like uncontrollable passion for just wanting to create and write and share with others and a lot of that stems from my childhood being first gen Asian Australian like I'm not the only person that's gone through being bullied and being different and feeling like an outsider and I just had always had this sort of intentional purpose to just want to make an impact and I found I could do that through LinkedIn and now I how I, I do it and I'm very fortunate to have a very passionate and engaged community that I do get to share my story and my voice and inspire that next gen. And it's it's not at the moment commercially driven, which is kind of nice. Uh, that is that is interesting. And um, <laughs> it's funny to hear you, Rosie, uh, say I'm not growing like some other people are growing. Um, you know, like given your own truly fantastic growth. Um, Thank you. But, well, the, and that speaks to the nature of the game, doesn't it? That social media is going to give you a bottomless, not a pit, let's say an endless, <laughs> an endless sea of lovely people to connect with and, and see. Um, and that comparison is really challenging but so you know rosie you're you're also into tiktok in a big way as you're saying and Mm. are do you pay a lot of attention to instagram at this point yes and no instagram was one of the first social media platforms i had and up until probably the last six 12 months i used it purely for social. I love posting photos. I love sharing stories. I just love social media. I think it's kind of why I ended up in a career in social media. So it's not within until like the last six or 12 months, I've looked at it as a, you know, a monetary platform, a way to get brand deals, a way to kind of spread my personal branding and LinkedIn platform. And I think something that is not necessarily best practice and something that a lot of other business owners or creators that are big on LinkedIn do is my Instagram doesn't really necessarily tie fully to my LinkedIn. It's not, you know, Rosie Chong LinkedIn or like Rosie Chong personal branding. It's the Rosie Chong that I created in year 11 or year 10, whenever Instagram came out. And it's just, you know, like all of my public platforms, it is my diary for the internet to look at because I can't be bothered with filters or editing or anything fake. So I love Instagram, but I totally do not treat it as intensely as like a full-time influencer would right on uh what you just mentioned there about the rosie chong you you came up with in in year 11 is is really interesting (laughs) we're gonna unpack that is i am interested in hearing the two of you talk about how you think about branding and it's like you're both very intentional i i think and, and so I'm interested in unpacking that, but <laughs> I do want to, uh, the, the numbers you've amassed. So part of my, um, interest in having the two of you on is I have been so 
amazed to discover that LinkedIn has these little corners, these little pockets, sort of the way Twitter does, right? Like you've got sales LinkedIn and you've got you know, like female entrepreneur LinkedIn and you've got like, it, it can get really specific um, to your point task where you can find like-minded people, people who are interested in the same stuff you care about. Um, and then I'm also interested about the geographic diversity in on the platform where I'm like wondering whether some of, and there are people all over the world who are blowing up, you know, this year, right? It seems like it's a year of explosive growth on this platform. <laughs> but um, But I'm interested in your take on what role being in Australia is having, if any, on what you're doing and if you have any sense and maybe you have no sense of that i know it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle but um i was hoping you could shed some light for me on like is linkedin in australia different than it is over here in you know i'm an american living in canada do you have any sense like of that <laughs> linkedin doesn't really exist in australia i it's it's so interesting seeing every single big UK creator get invited to the head office. They have the creator program, the accelerator program, they have creator managers. And then I sit here in Australia and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of Taz or any other Aussie creators, but I'm like, hello, we exist. Have you seen us? And it's just, it's really interesting. It feels like LinkedIn Australia is 10 years behind LinkedIn in the UK or or America. And it doesn't, I don't think it quite acknowledges or accepts the value creators have in Australia. Like I would say most of my audience are UK or US based and sure that has to do with the size of the country and the population, but it's, yeah. When I tell people I do LinkedIn Australia, I get a lot of odd looks and they're like, what do you mean? Yeah. I, 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 Hey, at least you've spoken to LinkedIn. They've never <laughs> spoken to me, ever said anything. I've, I've they, they they act like I don't exist. I try to troll them, get their attention. <laughs> they don't care. Um, I've even like publicly said all the time, I wish I could get a couple of those white hoodies, and you know, no one, no one cared. No one wants then to I give us a... hoodies. Yeah, no, I'll give you. <laughs> I just want one. I'll, I'll send you hoodies. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> It'll take fourteen years then... to get here because we live so far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we do live in the past, even though our actual times in the future. I even made a post. <laughs> actually trolling uh, a creator manager that looks after a lot of my British friends. Uh, I forgot his name. I think it was Ash Turner. And um, so I made a Is post. Creator manager. I didn't realize that. Does his name uh, pop up all the time? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I thought. So <laughs> I actually made a post where I was standing in front of the LinkedIn office, like all the people do. And I had a big bobblehead. Um, <laughs> and I wrote it in a way saying, you know, because I wanted to, put a satirical touch on how when people go there, they get a big head. And uh, I actually oh, named so some people like the CEO and, you know, the, the, the creator, I named the creator Mash Turner instead of Ash Turner. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And then he commented on it, you know, but the uh, thing is no one from Australia cares. They're, they just don't have the infrastructure. Like they don't have, yeah. from my understanding, they don't oh, really don't have like them, a department of, of it. Like, you're just being nice. You're giving them the benefit of doubt that they might not have the budget or the infrastructure. I think it's just Australians. <laughs> like we're very lazy with this stuff. We're not like the British and the Americans. We take it very slow. You know, we, yeah. I know. I'm pretty sure like the Australian TikTok creator fund didn't start until well after the creator fund was available in like Europe, the UK, America. Like we're, yeah. we're literally the forgotten cousin. Yeah. 
Hey, I don't even have the ability to pin comments. Okay. So Still? I'm like in, yeah, no, I don't. I, like I, I, I can't even pin a comment. And I, the problem with me is when I, I can't find my own comment after I comment. And then yeah, because you get so gone. many comments. It's, it's, it, yeah. So we live in the past. <laughs> and then there's people talking about, you know, we can schedule posts. Man, oh, I can barely post a post, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So. If you I'm going to schedule out. a post in my life on that platform. I'm always on it. It's like my most used app, but I don't turn on my screen yeah. time intentionally because I do not need to be told by my phone. You're spending 14 hours a day on your phone. I'm like, yeah, I work in social media. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Not... It just feels bad. Oh, it's bad. I don't need that judgment. Okay. So Australia is a forgotten land as far as everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it so at the same time, and tell you, what, I'll I'll give Reed Hoffman a call. I'll see if I can I can get some <laughs> for us. Uh, obviously, I'm not on their radar either, but um, but that makes more sense being over here, um, at at my pedestrian level. But I guess my my follow up on that is. My sense is that you've taken advantage of the fact that that LinkedIn is behind in Australia, right? That like when you're looking at at the way people think about LinkedIn in Australia, I it may be like what I'm leveraging with Contender. You know, I just started this little agency that's gonna uh, help law firms leverage the platform more effectively. And when I look at that industry in the United States and, and Canada, um, I mean, I, the whole industry is clueless. There are very few people who have any understanding whatsoever of how to take an idea, turn it into a post that can spread. And so I'm, I'm looking at it as is like lawyer LinkedIn three years behind uh, you know, like sales LinkedIn in a way that it's, they're going to catch up. And when they do, I'd like to be there to catch it, uh, catch that wave is, do you see that sort of, so two part question, two part meandering question. And Taz, I promised <laughs> you that there would be these, um, does your being sort of out there in, in, on this Island continent? Um, I mean, I, do you see that as being sort of a part of your success and growth? And then also, do you see yourselves as, as almost like front runners of what is to come in Australia, where everybody else is going to come join you down the road? Either that or we're going to look really stupid in a while. <laughs> so, um... got, yeah. I don't think there's any advantage to being in Australia. I actually think I would agree quite, with that. I, I think there's quite a few disadvantages. The first it's a challenge. Re- yeah, exactly. Yeah. The first reason I'd say that is because well, the posting time is very odd. Just the simple Oh my god. Yeah. Chaos. So, um, yeah. Um the posting time is a bit odd. That's the first problem. But more than that, we're all competing at a global level. It's the the, the we're not trying to get attention isn't segmented on LinkedIn. So if I could be paying attention to an Australian creator or an American or a British and 
vice versa, which means now everyone's competing for everyone's attention. And sure, it's segmented, not geographically, but maybe um, in through other means, but at least geographically, it's not. So people that are going to talk about, for example, personal branding, which is my space, I'm going to be in a space where I'm talking to everyone everywhere all the time. Um, so well, no advantage. I, yeah, well, yeah, can yeah, I yeah, zero yeah. in on that? So mm. I, I would push back a little bit from my own perspective on that idea that there is no geographic concentration where, you know, most of my posts, I can tend to predict before things like really, blow, and maybe this speaks to just how far the two of you have your posts go. Um, but, you know, that like the, the cities where the most people are seeing my stuff tends to be fairly consistent um in american cities does it look like that for you like on your posts are your top cities ever australian cities or are they also new york la mumbai like what does that look like on yours so for me basically the way I understand this is that you are going to probably have the same cities again and again. And it's not because of any geographical reason, but it's because certain industry markets are concentrated in certain geographical places. So an example of that is, is that personal branding is something or LinkedIn personal branding is something that's loudest in a few countries. So UK, for example, and then after UK, you might go to the US um, or maybe US and then UK, but it might not be that loud in, for example, Poland. And so if I'm in that niche, or if I'm, a, uh, I don't like that word, but if I'm in that niche, <laughs> I, I will automatically, as my reach grows, it will grow in proportion to where my market is for that niche it doesn't the, the geographical input is irrelevant in this sense because again the post has no you know travel time it goes everywhere all the time at the same time so um maybe for lawyers you might have a, a higher reach in singapore because there's maybe a lot of lawyers there and they might benefit from someone in the us and uk so it's niche specific uh, if you maybe purely call center it you might get a lot of south asian indian countries like that's just where the people are my hunch is that your experience of that is very different from almost everybody else's dude <laughs> what do they say well, i don't know what <laughs> well, rosie what what's your is your experience like what he's described because i i feel like rosie your network is at least your foundation it sounds like those first five thousand were heavily concentrated in australia in a way that then as you've gone from 5,000 to 10,000 to 33,000, you've gone worldwide, no doubt. But like, what's your take on, on what Taz is unpacking there? So I'd never heard of it as someone explain it in a way that it's niche specific, but that makes a lot of sense. And I will back the fact that a post doesn't get necessarily as driven algorithm algorithmic by the algorithm, I can't pronounce these words this late at night, by the algorithm, similar to like, unlike TikTok does. TikTok, I get a lot of posts from Melbourne because it, the app knows I'm in Melbourne. And I think the the platform and the main feed is just driven by the profiles you interact with the most and the kind of content, 
content you interact with the most. The people I see showing up at the top are the people I message, the people whose profile I check out, the people who I'm going back and forth with in comments. That does not matter what city, country, time zone they're in. Mm -hmm. So that's how I see the algorithm is developed. In terms of my audience, you're very right. My first sort of five to 10K was heavily driven by people in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, people in Australia in general, because the clients I was trying to get were based in Melbourne and Sydney for the work I was doing. But when I started elevating to that next global stage of content and audience, I found most of my audience are people who are in person and branding. They're the people I'm connect with. I have a lot of common ground with sort of marketing and personal branding. And that extends quite nicely to what Taz was saying is that a lot of them and they're in the UK because it's such a big market there. A lot of them are in India or Southeast Asia because digital and personal branding and marketing are really big there. Same thing with the US. That's where majority of my comments, where my audience come from these days. There are definitely the same consistent people that show up from Australia, but I think I'm I'm at a space now at a level now where the reason my results look the same post after post is because it's the same people showing up. So it's no longer necessarily about what country or city they're in. It's about, oh, I've got a familiar and loyal and trusted community that they just keep coming back for more. And that's why, you know, in the last six months, it's probably looking pretty repetitive in terms of city location, because it's no longer about a post that I'm just starting out with. It's cool, I've had the same people come along for this crazy ride with me since day dot or whenever they joined along. And I think that's almost made my my results a little bit biased to that certain question, I suppose, of is it geographically determined? Yeah. Right on. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mr. Sellers, thank you for joining me here on we're calling it Hustle Corner, but that's a working title. And I'm not sure whether the name is stupid and sucks, uh, but thank you for joining me to talk about your book, Applied Creativity. Thanks for having me, buddy. Uh, so you and I have uh, peacefully and joyfully occupied a very similar corner of the internet over the last year where we talk about the importance of creativity. Um, I released a book on the topic three months ago. You decided you needed to try to be like me. <laughs> I, th um, I think it was you knew I was writing a book and then you thought to spite me like two months prior, you'll get yours out there just to prove that. Yeah. So you got there first, but wrote, first doesn't always mean better. Uh, that, no, that's true. That's true. And I did write a spite book. So that's <laughs> right, a spite book. The Art of War, which I haven't read, spite book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um, my book on creativity. Um, had, yeah, I I just came up with the idea for mine really like in April or May of this year. And I know amazing. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you started working on yours. This was like a beginning of COVID. You started working on it, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was two years. Had to write it twice. Uh, I read it. I read it first. I wrote the first version in, in COVID season one. Uh, so in solo, in lockdown, like a maniac, madman, hermit created, like we all do, you know, so furiously writing my manifesto. And then after submitting it to a publisher who recommended that I take it to a book coach, took it to a book coach. <laughs> and the book coach took one look at it and said, this isn't a book. You're going to have to start from scratch. It's a manifesto. Uh, 
It's a, it, was a, it was a bit of a manifesto. It was, it was heated, let's say. Uh, but she was right. She was absolutely right. And like my, my background is you know, screenwriting, playwriting and that sort of thing. But like playwright doesn't equate to thought leadership book. Like two very different formats. So I had to learn the rules. Um, so go back, learn the rules of how to structure a thought leadership book, spend a second year rewriting said book. So we'll call the first one research. Mm. Uh, you're right. And then, so yeah, no, after about 12 months of, of proper, proper structure and refining and editing, finally have uh, a finished version to go out into the world, even though you beat me to it within six months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so give me the, the cliff notes version of what applied creativity does for us. Sure. So it answers a couple of questions. It's like, if there's a demand for creativity, um, as discussed with Forbes and LinkedIn, CNBC, and sort of all the powers that be, a lot of research, a lot of papers on this. So if there's a demand for creative thinking and creative skills in terms of innovation and complex problem solving, um, a demand implies a deficit. So how did we get here? Like, what is this demand? If we're and it's a bit of a paradox because we're the most well-schooled, well-educated, intelligent generations that have ever lived. And we live in a time where information is immediately accessible. It's abundant and it's free. So this demand for creativity doesn't quite make sense if we have all of this schooling and information. So there's obviously something missing. So the case that I make is our, our definition and scope of creativity is is really rather limited if we if we examine it purely through innovation and problem solving which is kind of what stem does it's like this is what it's for new tools and systems and process on the other hand you've got all the creatives you've got the artists who who believe well like i'm i'm creative and i'm special and i feel it and you're like, well sure but you you still need craft and you still need skill there's no such thing as a born dancer or actor the same as there's no such thing as a born mechanic or surgeon or accountant right you need to learn the craft so the book is applied creativity is, is this bridge between the stem folk and the the artistic folk go look there's you're actually using six creative skills like you use them in accounting and engineering and acting and singing and architecture the skills are universal the the outcomes um uh, are unique to to your craft so that's the case that I make that if we there's demand for creativity what is it and then how can we practically apply it to what we do yeah so and and, and so hopefully through that you um you can identify the skills that you that you already have I think that's that's a big one because a lot of people swear they're not creative because they're not artistic it's like, well, you don't need to be an illustrator. Like you, you might enjoy solving problems. You might enjoy um, composing or designing things that are aesthetic or, or more innovative or easy to function. You know, that's, those are creative skills that you employ. So when, you, when it becomes a, a conscious tool that's applied rather than just something that happens by fluke or inspiration, that's when it becomes really, really powerful, like anything. Like if you consciously use it with intent, um, and you can turn it on and off when you need it. Like, so the analogy I give is, is creativity is more like a language you can learn. You know, everyone speaks a little, 
but fluency requires knowledge and discipline and craft. And of course, people like yourself to practice with. Fantastic. And the long cliff note, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And I've had the good fortune to see a couple chapters of the book. Mm. I think it's great. I think your six skill sets are totally on point. And I think this book is, I think it's going to help some people with it. So uh, thank you for helping make the first the first shot at this thing work. You are uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, and thanks for um, thanks for inviting me on to talk about the work, and thanks for also leaving a review. That was that was great. Let's. I want to touch on how the two of you think about content creation. Um, you both make a lot of stuff. Um, you know, Rosie, you've got a podcast of your own where you're doing weekly episodes. You're creating substantially on two different platforms. Um, in addition to having a real job, um, and <laughs> a lot. yeah, and um, Taz, obviously, you're you just had the new course dropping. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm well, I'm so I'm I'm interested to hear how you um, come to <clears throat> pardon. Um, the process of creation is it's uh, something I've written a lot about. You know, I, I put my first book out a couple months ago now. It's called In the Creative Arena. Um, and it's just a book about creative process and things like imposter syndrome and how we overcome uh, the resistance to sitting down and making work happen. Uh, the two of you make a lot of work happen. Um, Rosie, how? Um, yeah, great question. This is what happens when you don't know how to sit still and you have really big ambitions and you want to make change in the world, but you don't know how to do it in just one thing. I've had several people in the last two to three weeks, I actually had someone yesterday call me out and be like, what's your one thing? You do so much. Like, why are you doing all these different things? And I think my creativity has just always been there, which is funny though, because I've never called myself a creative person until maybe this year, realizing that I make TikToks and a podcast and LinkedIn. It's like, I am a content creator at the end of the day, but I don't really have a very good process. I have a strategy in terms of the sense of writing things in a certain way, using storytelling, content pillars, and having a structure to it. And even, you know, I, I don't like saying hacking the algorithm, but having an understanding of the algorithm, but I don't know. I just, I love writing. I love documenting. I love sharing I love expressing through content for me it's just such a a deep passion so I don't see it as work I don't see it as I oh I have to fill a quota of a certain number of posts to me it's like oh this is enjoyment this is fun if I get to monetize that one day or through brand deals or through clients one day amazing but for me it's just like this is fun and I had a blog for a couple of years because I just wanted to express somewhere and have autonomy or something in a space where I could call my own. That's why I started the podcast. I wanted something on my own and I wasn't ready to run a business. And for me, these are just, it's almost therapy in a little bit of a way. It's for me to, a way to express, cause I don't journal, I don't meditate personally, but content is sort of my outlet in a bit of a way. It's the way that I can have fun and relax. Sure. There are days where it's exhausting and I'm like two weeks behind in responding to comments and editing TikTok videos. But for me, it's 
therapy. Like I love filming an outfit of the day on TikTok. I love commenting on other people's LinkedIn's. I find it enjoyful, like enjoyment, that form of enjoyment. And yeah, I guess therapy in a way. So I don't really know where my creativity comes from. It just, it comes from anywhere and everywhere, which is a terrible answer, but it's honest. No, I I think that's an excellent answer. And I've been so this week in my post unpacking the idea of if you want to make a lot of stuff, the, the real trick is just to develop the muscle where you see the world through a, a lens of being somebody. Every who... moment is a content opportunity. And I, I had someone tell me once, don't see it as, oh, I have to make this. It's just anything can be documented. I see myself as almost like a filmmaker. Just anything in life can be beautiful and inspiring. And that can come from anywhere. And that person that told me that, I can't remember who it was, but that shake like clicked in my head and now I see it as fun and fulfilling and enjoyment I'm like oh I could make a fun video out of this I don't see it as oh it's a chore I have to post and it's really helped change my relationship with content and creativity how you mentioned not feeling like you were a creative person as of a year ago what were you before you were a creative person how do you see yourself I have no idea never thought of myself as a leader never thought of myself as creative I never labeled myself with creative because I was like I can't paint yet I did dancing and I was a theater kid for a really long time and I've I've you know I had a blog for five years I've had Instagram for however long Instagram's been around for so before that I don't think I even had a label for myself other because I, I doubted myself so much I struggle with such deep anxiety about it and this internalized systemic sort of pressure of growing up Asian and this pressure of I'm a failure because I didn't get an A on my math test or I didn't pursue medicine. And so I was kind of just like, oh, I'm a corporate girl. And that was my label was I was a corporate millennial, I suppose. And that's that's how I saw it, that I wanted to climb the ladder and that would be successful and that would impress my parents. It would mean I've made it gold star for me. But yeah, I, I thought, I don't know, I didn't think I was worthy of the title of being creative in a weird way. This is really unlocking a lot of stuff right now. <laughs> well, that's where we're going. Yeah. Let's uh, getting deep, get yeah. real deep. <laughs> uh, well, but you see yourself as creative now. Definitely. Well, it's, and, and it feels freeing to say that in a weird way. Oh, for sure. Well, it, it's such a powerful idea is to be creative is to take things from the ether and turn them into impact in the world yeah uh through the stuff we make it's it's super powerful um one thing i'm interested in with the two of you is and i think this goes for so many people on linkedin the opportunities we've taken advantage of through making stuff um theoretically like we're not special right we're not unique anybody had the opportunity to step into you know, what you're doing, Rosie, or even Taz, what you're, somebody could have jumped on being LinkedIn's Robin Hood, right? And like taken taken that that approach, um, but they didn't. And it, I, there's such power in that that we just see the opportunities and step into them. That that there is that and LinkedIn isn't the only platform where that's that's available. And TikTok has been cool like that for you as well, Rosie. But it, um Taz, I think you've got thoughts over there. So 
thoughts on what makes me a creative or what's my creative process. Um, I am interested in how you think about creativity and maybe I'll, I'll put that I'll, I'll merge that with a question about your branding, which is to say, mm. like, where are you going? Mm. <laughs> so in terms of creativity, I, I think of it as just rearranging things because you don't really ever create anything. You can just rearrange stuff. Um, and that's true at a very minuscule physical level. You're never going to be able to create or destroy energy or any of that, like without getting too deep on anyone. But getting existential, yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but content's the same because you're not going to be creating something that doesn't or cannot or hasn't ever existed. Sure, you can rearrange things in in a way where they're presented in a different format. So what I try to do is I try to understand the most efficient ways to rearrange them, the most efficient ways to present them. And, you know, and by efficient, I mean, my metric at the moment is what resonates with people. So my process of creativity is, it's very boring and scientific in the sense that I look at it as, okay, this is what I know about humans. This is what can induce the highest dopaminergic response based on xyz pillars that i have obviously because you need to operate within some sort of rules um, and so i try to create something that induces most of that response that's why um, so I, I do focus a lot on engagement and stuff people say you know engagement is not what matters and everything i believe i believe the opposite of that um, i do think that engagement is very important if you want to have a higher reach and right now LinkedIn is the only platform that works in reverse compared to every other platform. On other platforms, what you do is you go get attention shamelessly and then you monetize it. The monetization comes afterwards. And what that means is that you can be a creator. So for example, Mr. Beast, he figured out the ways to induce that dopaminergic response at the maximum level. And then once he had a substantial, obviously a huge amount of um, attention, there was you can literally do whatever you want in terms of monetization so you can sell chocolates burgers clothes um, anything so i think that linkedin is a bit behind in terms of that entire process and uh, people are too busy trying to remain in a smaller pocket and saying look i don't want mass attention because it's not a content creator platform what i do want is my niche specific attention and then i'm going to sacrifice my I like to try and convert them. So I believe the opposite of that. I say, look, that's not sure. That's I'm, I'm, doesn't mean that that doesn't work. It, it does work. But the strategy that I'm trying to use is one where no one is worried about mass attention. And they go, okay, I'm just trying to do niche attention. I don't want to do mass attention. And then try to get that and not worry about monetization at the moment. So um, that's the creative process. But when I'm trying to do when I'm trying to create content, what I try to do is I have some rules and some pillars of how I want to represent myself because at the end of the day, I believe every medium is just a, 
It's just a method to represent yourself. That's why it was interesting when I was listening to Rosie before and she said, you know, she's different on Instagram in terms of it's a slightly different persona. And so I covered this in the course as well um, because the number one problem that people have when they jump on LinkedIn is that they believe that they can be themselves completely as they are with their wives or kids or in real life. And then when they fail to do that, because it's not possible, because the only medium where that's possible is reality. When they fail to do that, they get really apprehensive about content creation and creativity because they, they're like, oh, I'm going to misrepresent myself. So I think that you need to understand that you cannot represent yourself completely. And then in terms of creativity, my process at the moment is to try to get mass attention. And so um, I don't really worry about uh, niches and all of that stuff. But um, what I worry about is how is the person going to resonate with this piece of piece of content? And so I think of wide audiences. Mm. Basically, I want to, uh, when you read the post, I want you to get that, get a dopaminergic response in your brain where you're like, oh, okay, I like this guy. Like that's, <laughs> that, that's what I try doing in a calculated way. That's really interesting. And there is this tendency that when, if you're a creator talking about selling or talking about how we create compelling stuff, um, the advice, the tips, the tricks, uh, the processes tend to come out as like, this is the right way to do it in, in a way that suggests that other ways are wrong. You know, that like niche yeah. is, is inherently better than going for, you know, humans. Um, yeah. And one thing I go back to all the time is just that there are eight, you know, 800 million people on the platform. And theoretically we have 800 million different ways and reasons for leveraging it if we wanted to. Um, but that's really interesting. The, the thinking about how do you appeal to as many people as you possibly can is I think you're right that there are, there are very few people. I'm trying to think of people who seem to, to approach the game that way. Do you, when you find them, let me know. <laughs> Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask both of you, um, let's touch on your course, Taz, a little bit. Um, so one of the questions I got from more than one person was, was the free question. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've started bopping around. I spent a half hour with the course last night. It just dropped. Wait, what day? Two days ago? Three days ago? Um, I think five five days now. Yeah. Five uh, six days, days now. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah I know. Time flies. It, it really Jeez. does. Um, but, so I, I listened to your explanation of why it was free. And I got to tell you, I'm not quite satisfied. So yeah. Taz, I, if, if you're willing, I'd love to hear you unpack the thought process <laughs> yeah. on... <laughs> On, and yeah. I'm, I'll tell you like what I've, what I've watched so far, it is like, it's excellent. So like in the, the production quality is good. Like the amount of, of meat in the thing, it, it is a very meaty course. Um, and it's something that if you do this thing, you're going to get much better at this game. That's, 
no doubt about that. Um, and your answer in the intro of the course as to why I was free was because I just want to build trust. I mean, that's how I took it. It's like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what everybody wants to do though. Right. So really, what are you doing, man? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I could probably talk for a very long time about why it's free, but the, the, the main reason is that I've always sort of, I've tried, I thrive when I go against the grain. And so what I figured out the grain was, is that there's a market right now where there's, 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 there's a giant market that you can access if you want to sell a course and monetize that in X, Y, Z ways. Mm -hmm. So for example, Justin Welsh sold 7,000 or six and a half thousand of his content OS copies oh in two and a half years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's insane. So there is that entire market. However, that entire market has a shadow community, which is, uh, I wouldn't really call it a shadow community. Everyone that buys a course also has in their intuition. So there's their rationale that I should buy a course. And then there's the intuition that says, look, oh, I'm going to get scammed. And so, um, yeah. And so that's, that's, that's something that I saw no one was cashing in on in terms of, again, now, how are you going to cash in on that if you don't charge anyone any money? You will have to um, watch to find out soon. Well, but, okay. I'll just right off the bat say that none of this is charity work. I'm not a charity worker. And I don't spend my time in things that I don't believe I'll get an ROI on. I'm not a saint. I'm not a priest. I'm not, you know, any of those people. Obviously, everything that's going, that's, that I'm doing has a strategy associated with it. Otherwise I would not be able to actually put the effort in and do it. So the strategy here is that, oh, and I did share a part of it is, which is to build trust at scale. And that's one part. It's, it's not the, there's obviously elements to it afterwards where, okay, so then what do you do with that trust? And then how do you, you know, monetize that trust and it's a bit different than just maybe building an email chain, like email list, because who, like that's not innovative or new at all, but I did in four days, uh, in five days now, um, get 4,000 warm leads because these are all people that are interested in learning about LinkedIn. So for me, these are warm leads. Um, that's in it, that in itself is very, very, um, pricey for me. Then on top of that, I also got, I think I would have maybe got a hundred, uh, people that shouted me out because of that. Um, that again, inc including Rosie, and she was so kind to do, which she did an amazing post on it. It was just, it just blew my mind. And that, that is something that you, if you actually go out and try to pay people to do it, it would cost a lot of money. And so you can do it without spending that money by doing things that can help other people. So the plan to it is going to take a lot more than the five minutes that we've got left but there is obviously a strategy attached to it and uh it's just blown my mind because justin Walsh, the biggest creator has about six and a half thousand people that learned from him in two and a half years and i'm at four thousand in five days so in two and a half years i'm gonna make sure that he's not selling any more courses sorry justin but yeah <laughs> you're coming for him now this is just a joke because again the market's big <laughs> enough but but this is how I market mine because anyone that 
has that intuition just a tad bit louder than the rationale to go by the course then comes to me. So this is just another way of capturing the audience that's interested, but not quite there. So it's sort of like stealing leads out of someone else's pipeline because I'm just undercutting them on price. And then what I decide to do with the lead later is different. But at the end of the day, in a, it using, so I figured out that over time, if I graph it out, the only way I can steal or capture more leads in this limited market is by I have to undercut on price because I don't have that attention and all of that. So it's just some, it's simple math. No, I, all that makes sense to me. And I, I hear that you got somewhere you're going with this. I'm you, you say, what are you doing to make your living right now? What, like, oh, yeah, so, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so I, I do, yeah, I do, I do uh, three things. I do content creation. I have four people that I've had that work with me in corporate that I'm doing this for in the security industry. So I'm looking at changing that into an agency format so I can scale it because okay. at the moment gotcha. I can't. Yeah, so that's one. Then another thing I do is I have about two different types of content consultations that you can do. So you can do a strategy session with me or you can do an audit with me. That's, a, that's 90 minutes. So uh, I'm a very humble person. I don't need a lot of money. I do two or three of these and I'm happy, like I'm bowling. So um, I, that's basically what I do. Cool. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I want to be mindful of time. Um I'll throw a curveball at you both. Who's one person you think that every person on LinkedIn would benefit from connecting with or following? So Susan David, I think she's someone that if you follow, she will literally make your life better. It has nothing to do with anything that I talk about, but uh, she's basically a Harvard, uh, Harvard educated PhD doctor and talks about mental health. I'm going to have to connect with her. Um, the person I'm thinking of is Megan or Megan Liu. Li Liao? Oh, Liu? Okay. She is a data scientist and just hit 50K followers, which I just saw her post there. That's why I remember that. But, <laughs> yeah, she's just like, I think I really like her because she's a powerhouse Asian female in an industry that is often dominated by males. And as a fellow Asian female on a platform that is dominated by males it's cool yeah. to see her succeeding and she's just quite fun and similar to what you were saying Taz I think she would make your life yeah. better it's 10 p.m here with us I'm not saying because I have a time curfew that's fine I actually really enjoy this conversation but um big that's probably why we're both tripping a bit yeah <laughs> like <laughs> this is the yeah. fifth podcast yeah. I've recorded this week I'm a bit tired oh my yeah. goodness uh y'all batch yours or have you been bopping around other people's podcasts this week? Uh, a little bit of both. I had yeah. one on Monday. I had two of my own on Tuesday, a different one on Tuesday as a guest. I had one before this, this evening, and I had an in-person talk yesterday. So, yeah. How did that go? It was go? a busy week. Oh, it was amazing. It was a dream come true. Like, I, this sounds weird because most people would find it being, like, scary being on stage. I felt very at home. It felt very right. So excited to pursue whatever that goes down because I'm not doing enough already. So yeah, add keynote speaker to the list of things I do. That was so cool. And just for people, I, I saw your post about it, but what was the event? 
So it was an event run by the Victorian government, well, a part of Victorian government called Study Melbourne, and they were partnering with Intern Match, which is a company that focuses on hooking up international students with jobs, internships, mentors. And it was the launch event for a series called Career Catalyst. So essentially I was talking to a room full of international students about the importance of personal branding and how they can stand out to get a job, get an internship and find confidence to use, I guess, LinkedIn or social media to help them, you know, accelerate and, you know, stand above everyone else so that they can really succeed. Excellent. Um, you're both really inspiring people and I, I really appreciate uh, watching what you're doing over there. And with so many people, there's this feeling that we're just getting warmed up. And, and that is most definitely the case for the two of you. Um, so obviously in the show notes, I'll be including your profile links. Taz, I will be linking to the course, of course. Uh, Rosie, I will link to the your pod. Um, Thank you. It's a definite maybe. And that's, um, that's the one. <laughs> the link or the pod? <laughs> um, is there anywhere else you want to direct people to learn more about you or what you do? I mean, if anyone's on TikTok, you can follow me there, but it's definitely like outfit of the days and fashion, and it's not going to be inspiring how to start a business kind of content, but you know, always fun. We love it. Um, Rosie, should I be leaning into TikTok? Should, do I need to? Is, would it make my Only life better? Only if you feel like you enjoy it. You feel like you can have consistency to begin with, with the content and upload schedule, then yes. But if you feel like you don't have the time, I don't think it's worth it. TikTok, when you start out, in my opinion, you have to go hard and you have to do it consistently to really start that momentum and gain awareness, following um, build a community. I mean, it's like that with any platform, but I think TikTok is quite aggressive in that sense. So if you have the spare time, go for it. I love it personally. I think there's a community for everything. That's what's very special about TikTok is there's a lot of different spaces that people obsess over and support and want to be part of those communities. But if you don't have the time for it, I would just knuckle down on what you're doing currently and just go hard on that. Hmm. All right. I always do great on TikTok, man. I'm telling you. I love it. Yeah. Big money too. You think I need to be doing that? Oh, no. I, I'm just <laughs> saying lawyers, but I, can't, I don't really know what you should be doing, but yes, do it. Well, well that's Book actually all, with that, Taz. Yeah, that's all this <laughs> podcast is. It's just me getting free advice from, from people, you know, about what I should I'll be doing. I'll wait for my, my paycheck life. in the mail. Thanks. Well, you got to send the invoice first, but of course. <laughs> um, thank you both for being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having, thank you for us. having us. Yeah, yeah. Thank so you. fun. Thank you so much for listening to the conversation. Uh, it did feel like we were just getting warmed up. We turned off the recording and rolled for another 10 minutes in a way that said, son of a bitch, that was the best 10 minutes of the the entire thing and I've said this when I started the podcast my intention was that these were going to be 30 35 minute episodes and it, that got blown out of the water immediately and now I'm finding an hour 
I don't think an hour is enough for kind of what I'm interested in unpacking and, and getting after. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering whether we're going to experiment and gravitate toward even longer form stuff as we go along here. Only time will tell. Um, again, thank you for listening. I would so appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple or wherever you get podcasts. Although oh, we need to expand more. So you can only find this on Anchor, Apple, and Spotify. I've seen a request for Stitcher. We're going to make that happen. We're going to keep spreading. But um, 10 episodes in the book. I think we've probably got another 10 in this. Until next time, uh, see you out there in Linky Land.